Welcome to the My Talk 1071 Roundtable talking about sexual harassment. Um, as you all know, we here at My Talk 1071 have been covering extensively all the stories that have been coming out uh, as recently with Harvey Weinstein and Kevin Spacey. And but even back when we were hearing uh, stories about sexual harassment coming from uh, accusers who were talking about Bill Cosby or even Kesha with her producer Dr. Luke, this is sort of been in the news more recently, but certainly not for the first time. And when things uh, like this happen in entertainment that intersect with life, we like to take an opportunity at a My Talk Roundtable to sit down and talk about it with ourselves, Colleen and Bradley, and some experts. And in fact, today we've uh, brought some experts for you, uh, and thank you for being with us today. We've got Dr. Susan Strauss. She's a workplace and schools harassment consultant, investigator, and expert witness. And we also have Jim Keenan, whose voice you may find familiar. He is the executive director of POR Emotional Wellness and has joined us in the past on uh, our my talk roundtable but thank you both again for being here today thanks for having us yeah thanks for having us so um dr susan strauss can you explain a little bit about what you do what that title all means i work with employers and with schools in helping them establish some strategies for the prevention and the intervention of not just sexual harassment, but harassment of protected classes. Mm -hmm. I also conduct investigations, and then I work as an expert witness for lawsuits around the country, and Mm -hmm. I've done a fair amount of publishing on the topic. And Dr. Strauss, can I just ask, you know, out of curiosity, how did you get involved in this work? (laughs) Oh, it's a long story, but uh, to put it simply, I was um, teaching, actually, high school kids way back in the 80s, and it was in 19... Not that far back. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I feel old. (laughs) I'm older than you. Uh, It was, uh, the the Supreme Court had just, in fact, ruled that sexual harassment was a form of sex Mm -hmm. discrimination in 1986. And uh, our high school students were complaining about being sexually harassed at work. They were juniors and seniors in high school. So a colleague and I put together a rather rough curriculum to teach them about harassment. And as sort of an afterthought, we decided to determine uh, whether or not they were being harassed at school. And that was like opening Pandora's box. And that sort of became my whole purview into this whole issue and it's just expanded dramatically since that time yeah and jim can you talk a little bit about sort of how you what angle you're coming at this topic from well as As a a therapist well as a therapist i've had clients who you know are are, um, have been harassed and and sexually harassed not only in the workplace but in the community at large Um, i'm also kind of lending my my vision as a person who has been harassed and sexually assaulted in their lives so I have a little bit of that victim angle that I'm able to speak to. Um, but mostly I, I, I want to bring forth a voice that, that we need to uh, kind of, we need to lift the, the, the shroud of, of secrecy. And I think it's awesome that it's being tugged really, really hard mm-hmm. right now in a very public way. And we need to uh, kind of change the thinking as, as a group, as a whole human race on how we treat each other. Yeah. Well, and I think these uh, particular stories, and of course, you know, you said you've been working on this topic since the 1980s, and but there uh, appear to be moments where everybody stops to pay attention, maybe more focused on the issues than they are um, any other given day. So in the last few years, and specifically in the last month or so, people have really been focused on these particular issues as people who've 
worked on these issues and dealt with them, issues of assault and harassment for, you know, for many years. Um, does this make you happy that we're paying attention? Do you feel like people are paying attention to the right things? I know those are broad questions, but maybe you could talk a little bit about that. I think it's great that people are talking about it. What I'm what I'm finding very interesting in talking to friends and, and colleagues is the different questions that are that people have, you know, ranging from why don't victims say anything? Mm. Why do they wait so long? You know, what's that about? To who do these men think they are? And why why do they think they have the right to do this to anybody? Uh, and it's very interesting to catch where everybody's kind of uh, entering the race, so yeah. to speak. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree with Jim. I You know, on the one hand, it's sad that we have this many women in all these industries that are coming forward. It was 26 years ago that we went through the Anita Hill Clarence Thomas mm -hmm. hearings and everyone thought at that time, oh boy, maybe this is really going to be an opportunity for the behavior to diminish. But of course we know it hasn't. I think what's different with this uh, period of time is that we've got social media for one thing and the hashtag me too has played a huge role and with all the women coming forward from so many different industries it really lets the public know as well as employers hey this is an issue and you're going to need to deal with it and it needs to be more than just a perfunctory one-hour training mm -hmm. that will not do the trick or that 20 minute video that you get at orientation yes. when you get a new job and that a, hasn't been updated since the 60s that's right <laughs> or people doing a, it online yeah and that is not good training either they multitask you can't ask questions you know they don't pay any attention for the most part it's a waste of time energy and money for an employer to only offer that kind of training yeah because what we really need is a full culture change. That's yeah. exactly it. And and I you know and I think that what what we've been paying attention to with the uprising of these stories coming out of Hollywood, Harvey Weinstein, Kevin Spacey, we've been paying attention to that and also at the same time seeing how that has sort of started a, a wave of movement across the culture. Was there anything surprising to either of you as the news started to trickle out? I mean, first we heard one accuser come out uh, with Harvey Weinstein, then it was sort of a handful, and then it was all of the sudden all of these people, and then the same kind of trend happened with Kevin Spacey. Was there anything that surprised you about how this has sort of progressed? I haven't found it surprising at all. I think there's power to the number. And I think as some women came forward, it was giving permission, if you will, for any other victim to feel more safe in coming forward and saying, hey, me too, this has happened to me, uh, not just once, but several times. And I think that momentum has continued to pull more and more. And I'm going to say women, and I know that men can be sexually harassed as well, but for right now, I'm only going to talk about women. I think they feel the freedom and the safety to speak out in ways that they have not felt previously. Mm. The clencher is going to be, is it going to make a difference? And as Jim had mentioned, we need a culture change. Those are extremely difficult um, it's an extremely difficult thing to have happen to change a culture in an organization, let alone in society, mm -hmm, right. because the workplace is a microcosm of what's going on in society. And that's where I find that organizations fail. They're not willing to devote the time, the energy, the resources to looking at it as a culture change. And, and that starts from the top up. 
uh, or top down, top rather. Down. You know, it, it, if the leadership isn't willing to create a safe culture, not only free of harassment, but safe in terms of if this happening, come tell us. Uh, the culture is going to remain the same and it's never going to change. Mm-hmm. I do get the sense that people believe this particular uh, time around, if you will, that um, things are somewhat different than perhaps they've been in the past when people come forward. Um, that there is some sort of sense of progress or difference in the way that more women feel comfortable coming out and, and speaking about their stories and not being afraid of retribution. Do you feel, again, coming from a you know, decades-long perspective, that maybe this is a, a unique opportunity in a way we haven't seen before? I, I think one thing that is unique a little bit more to this situation is the reaction of the agencies or, or uh, companies that these men have worked for. Um, it used to be, you know, slap on the wrist, we'll pay this person off, you go do a little uh, thing over at a, at a clinic, and everything will be good. Uh, you know, he lost his company, as mm-hmm. he should. Um, they, they canceled, you know, Netflix is backing off of Kevin Spacey's work, and they should. And what I see is that the powers that be are actually making monumental decisions and not letting finances get in the way. Because at the end of the day, company finances play a huge part in this. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I really like the fact that these these men are know, suffering a consequence. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And we'll just hope it continues. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm only cautiously optimistic. Mm-hmm. I agree. Sure. We're seeing some changes. Yeah. I think what is more bothersome to me, quite frankly, than the entertainment industry is what's happening with legislators. They're coming forward talking about how prevalent this is on the Hill in Washington mm-hmm. and in various states. Well, what are they going to do about that? Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that in the Senate and in the House, they've never even done in Washington. They've never even done at the minimum any training. No. And so they've got a long ways to go. And you want to talk about the echelons of power. There it oh, is. Yeah. And that has an impact on all of us. Some of the women have said that they've been told, hey, if you want me to support your bill, guess what you have to do? I mean, that impacts all of, all us, of us in a myriad of ways. Sure. That is uh, pretty scary. And, and I think if we're looking at real cultural change, we start generational and we start teaching young children the proper way to treat each other mm-hmm. and especially boys. Yeah, I think we have to look at it. I think there is a, a masculine hegemony that's going on and we've got the patriarchy. And when I do training, um, particularly when I'm in a school with staff, I bring those things up and I tell you there is a resistance mm. about looking at patriarchy and what it is and looking at masculine hegemony and what are we teaching our boys about what it means to be male mm-hmm. that you've got to have this testosterone laden mm-hmm. approach to life and we're harming them and we're harming girls as a result and uh you know they sometimes will refer to it you've probably heard of it about the box of masculinity mm-hmm. and how it confines boys as to how they should be with girls but also be with each other and that carries through their whole development mm-hmm. into adulthood. Mm-hmm. It's an artificial identity, mm-hmm. and, and, it, and it kind of puts them on a track that, that's really hard to break. This is so amazing. I'm loving the insight that you both are lending. Um, and when we come back on the other side of this break, I'd like to kind of get kind of back to basics and start talking really about what is sexual harassment? Who gets to decide that it has whatever has occurred has been sexual harassment? We're going to touch on that and so much more. This is the My Talk 1071 roundtable. We're talking about sexual harassment here on My Talk 1071. Welcome back 
to this My Talk 1071 Roundtable. We're talking about sexual harassment. I'm Colleen Lindstrom. Bradley Trainer and our wonderful expert guests. We have with us today Dr. Susan Strauss, who's a workplace harassment consultant, also works in schools. She's an investigator and she's also an expert in the field. Jim Keenan from POR Emotional Wellness, also here. And we'd like to just, you know, start with the basics. We've thrown a lot of terms around. Colleen and I, most days when we're talking about celebrity stories, can play fast and loose with terms like sexual harassment. But for the the nature of this conversation, we wanted to be very specific. So maybe, um, Dr. Strauss, if you'd like to start off and then Jim uh, add to the conversation, wh- what do we even mean when we say sexual harassment? I think that's an excellent question, and I think most of the time when we're talking about it based on all of the recent stories, we're using the term fairly loosely, Mm -hmm. Uh, and it can be people are using it because they've been kissed by somebody without their permission all the way up to rape. And when we do think about sexual harassment, um, when we look at it from the legal perspective, sexual harassment It means that the behavior, so it could be sexual innuendo, it could be sexual jokes, it could be um, sexual touching, um, gestures. I think most of us get the real overt stuff. But the legal parameters are that, it number one, has to be unwelcome. Mm -hmm. Number two, it has to be severe and or pervasive enough that it interferes with the target's ability to do his or her job, and creates a hostile work environment based on a standard that's called a reasonable person standard. And sometimes if it's a woman, they would say a reasonable woman standard. And then it has to be sexual and or gender based. So I'm going to go through those one more time. Well, that's a lot. It is. It has to be unwelcome. It has to be severe and or pervasive that it interferes with the individuals to do his or her job and creates a hostile work environment based on the standard of a reasonable person. And then it has to be sexual and or gender based. Now, that's just one kind. The other one is it has to be unwelcome. And if it's something that is directed towards an individual by their boss, then we'll call it quid pro quo. And it has absolute liability just one time of doing it. Boom. It's illegal. The... um, the sexual and or gender based is important for a couple of reasons, not only the more overt kinds of behavior, but when we talk about gender based, then we may be getting into um, is is a woman, for example, being bullied, quote unquote, however you define that, just because she's a woman mm-hmm. and she may not have any real overt sexual behavior directed towards her, but she's being targeted because of her gender. Mm -hmm. Now, the other challenge with all of this is sex versus gender. Mm -hmm. So sometimes gender-based is also referring to LGBTQ uh, population. Mm -hmm. And of course, the feds have not determined who is protected and who is not under that realm. We've had some federal courts indicate that LGB folks are protected. Some that have said transgender folks are protected. Uh, We've got 23 states that will protect the LGB community, 
19 states that protect transgender individuals. Minnesota protects both. Um, Now, the American Disabilities Act, we've had two federal judges that have stated that transgender individuals are protected under Title VII, because what I've just defined to you was Title VII, for sex discrimination because they have a diagnosis of gender dysphoria. Mm -hmm. As a result, they'd be protected under the American Disabilities Act. Now, we'll see if that carries through actually in the courts. The EEOC states that LGBT employees are protected, but they aren't the courts. So that's the legal definition. And even within the legal definition, we find ambiguity. What is severe and or pervasive? Yeah, that is exactly what I was sort of responding to is there seems like there's a lot of gray area in there. There is. And what is a reasonable person? Reasonable by, yeah. Right. And even lawyers don't agree on that. And you can grab law journals and read what is a reasonable person's standard and there's disagreements. So when you're, the important thing is, is when you're at work, not that you want to ignore the law, but it's really, you've got to be much more careful. Are you in violation of your policy? You're much more likely to be in violation of your policy and have somebody call you out, hopefully, and call you out so it does not rise to the level of being illegal. So that would be more of the psychological sexual harassment, where it's not risen to the point of being so severe and or pervasive you can't work, but it's as annoying as hell yeah, you can say and, that. That's um, fine. We yes, annoying as hell, and it, and it may be interfering with your ability to do your job, but not to the extent that the law requires. Sure, I've and seen that, some that's really the type of client we see that you see those. You know, someone that's obviously been harassed, and they're questioning if they've been harassed. And we always tell people, if you feel you've been harassed, you've probably been harassed. Yeah, and you know, I think be, to that end, I think that there, that is a question. Who gets to decide that it was harassment? The victim. Yeah. Well, yeah. Unless, in my realm, it's the victim. Yeah. And in the legal realm where Dr. Susan works, you have a whole you know concert of people who are going to challenge that. Yeah. Um, but and, for, for mental health, I would like to you know have people know if you feel like you've been harassed and you're experiencing anxiety, depression, sleeplessness, worrying about going to work, those are all things you need to address yeah. because eventually those will rise to the level Dr. Susan's talking about. Yeah, I, I agree with him. And I think that um, you that's that psychological harassment. And I agree, the victim, here's the deal. When you first are experiencing it, you have the subjective experience. I'm feeling uncomfortable. I I don't want to come to work. I don't want to deal with that guy. Once it gets into um, filing a formal complaint and it gets into the legal system, then it becomes objective. And that's what that reasonable person standard is. Because Brad, for example, you may have a heightened sensitivity to somebody touching you and saying, hey, honey, let's go out and have a drink and say, oh, that's that's illegal sexual harassment because maybe you were abused as a kid. Maybe it's your religious beliefs. Who knows what? So the, the reasonable person standard, in a way, protects all of us from somebody that may have a heightened sensitivity to the sure. behavior. Mm-hmm. But what I but I what I love about this conversation um, is that both of you are sort of addressing equally valid points in different circumstances or from a different perspective so that even if a person is maybe not uh, receiving what would be considered a legal sexual harassment experience, that's maybe the wrong choice of words. If there's something that can't be legally defined, there is help for something yes. that that 
ultimately is affecting their emotional well-being and stability. I think what's hard for me as I'm listening to this is then I imagine that it can if somebody's already sort of emotionally been victimized, right? Mm -hmm. And then if it does go into the legal realm, escalating it to that point where there is uh, where other people get to opine about how how whether or not it was harassment, that that could also then make those that mental and emotional set of issues. Yeah, and oftentimes like victims that come forward in lawsuits are John Doe's or Jane Doe's and they don't want their names forward or they'll take a settlement so they don't have to enter the legal system. Right. The, uh, the person in the workplace that determines it for the most part is going to be HR or whoever conducts an investigation within the, uh, within the workforce Mm -hmm. or like when I conduct an investigation, I still, I, I determine whether or not the behavior is against the policy. That's the first thing. Mm -hmm. And most of them would be against the policy. And then I look at, was it unwelcome, severe and or pervasive reasonableness? And as an investigator, I will have the responsibility to determine, was it um, in violation of the law, even though I'm not a lawyer or anything. But you do the best you can when you do a fair and impartial, comprehensive investigation. But then if the individual decides to go to court, then you've got to find an attorney who sees enough merit in the incidents for the attorney from in their legal mind to say, okay, I think there's enough here for probable cause. Then it has the complaint has to go to a judge. Then the judge needs to make that determination as to whether or not there will be a um, trial by jury. And then the jury will make the determination. So you're just inviting more cooks into so the kitchen. Well, and, and, you, and you, as a victim, you're having to repeatedly tell your That's story. Right. More opportunities to be re-victimized. It oh. does. Absolutely, it does. again and again and again. And what I'm hearing here is, um, as you're talking about this, it, it makes it more apparent why people would keep this to themselves and not share it. And when we come back, I would like to invite people to share any questions that they have um, with with our experts about sexual harassment. Can I say one more thing? I just wanted to emphasize that the retaliation claims continue to go up. Last year, 46% of the complaints to the EEOC, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, 46% of them were for retaliation. And retaliation is much more difficult for an employer to disprove Mm. in the courts. But people don't want to come forward because they're embarrassed. They have to talk about what yeah. they experienced, and it's tough. Wow, this is fascinating. 651-641-1071. If you and our listening audience have a question for our experts, we'll get to your questions and uh, some more of the questions that we've gotten over email after this on the MyTalk 1071 roundtable. We're talking about sexual harassment on MyTalk 1071. It's a My Talk 1071 roundtable. We're talking about sexual harassment here on My Talk 1071. I'm Colleen Lindstrom. That's Bradley Trainer. We've got our two experts in the studio. We have Dr. Susan Strauss, who's a workplace and school harassment consultant, investigator, and also an expert on this topic. And Jim Keenan, he is a therapist at POR Emotional Wellness. And I and we opened up the phone lines because what we're learning here is a lot about without even really talking directly about why people don't come forward so easily when it comes to sexual harassment in hearing about the definition, the legal definition. And um, you start to understand all how it's over, how it's complicated and why people might just not want to go through the rigmarole of 
of talking about it. Right. So we're inviting people, if you've got questions, 651-641-1071. And we do have a question over email. Um, This listener says, I'm wondering if it's possible that someone who behaved in a predatory way as a younger person, maybe mid-20s, could or would change their behavior on their own as they get older. Is it ever possible that there may be just one victim and not a whole trail of them throughout their lives? Um, I, I, yeah. Is, is it possible? Sure. Uh, but we got to remember human behavior and, and we tend to repeat ourselves until something, uh, changes our trajectory in, in life. Uh, but when I look at myself as a 20 year old versus a 50 year old, I think my mentality and, and how I interacted with the world is dramatically different, uh, based on life experiences, uh, reading between the lines, you know, is, is it possible that, that he only has one victim I heard? She, her say or, or this person say mm-hmm. in the email, uh, I, I guess, yes, any, anything's possible. And, and really, you have to judge people on what they're doing right now uh, uh, and, and what they've done in the past as well. And the question is, can they change? Research shows that sexual predators aren't really affected too much by therapy. They, mm-hmm. they are what they are. Uh, and so I always hold out hope for the human spirit that it's able to make some changes uh, but but uh, it really depends on what this person's engaging in. Mm-hmm. Can I ask you just like on a, a very basic and general level, and again, just to remind our callers uh, or our listeners rather that you can give us a call and ask questions uh, of our guest today, 651-641-1071, or as Colleen just did, uh, she read an email, you can drop us a line on our show page at mytalk1071.com. You know, if... If you feel like something has happened, you know, Jim, I know we could I could come talk to you as a therapist and mm-hmm. sort of understand sort of, you know, uh, what's going on, what my place is. But if I feel like there's something I need to act on, how do I know and where do I start? Mm-hmm. It, it, I think that's really you go to the HR person uh, in, in, in my company that I own. We have several in our manual. We have several places that they can start. Uh, you know, a female may not want to come to me as the superior or the supervisor because I'm a male and maybe, mm-hmm. or, or maybe they don't want to go to, you know, Rochelle or somebody. So I have several entry points that they can bring it up. But I think that people need to know that if you have been harassed or you've been wronged, you have the right to say something mm-hmm. and you have the right to be heard. I will even go a little before that. I think one of the first things an individual needs to do is to start documenting the experience because you tend to forget it. Yeah. And you've got to document the more detail, the better. The more detail you have, the more supporting evidence it is. So exactly what happened, using verbatim quotes, how close did the person get to you? Was their face red? Were their blood vessels sticking out? Uh, Who were the witnesses and what were they a witness to? And they need to document where it happened and not just in the cafeteria but the southeast corner for example and then how has it impacted them and there are several different aspects that they should document how is it impacting them emotionally how has it impacted them physically are they finding that they're getting sick more often that they have stomach aches or uh, migraines that kind of thing how much is it impacting them in terms of their work are they finding that they're coming to work later leaving earlier that their productivity has diminished that the quality of their work isn't what it should be and then what about behaviorally are they crabby or at home are they crabby with their co-workers are they not going out for drinks on Friday night after work and often folks don't want to document and it's critical that you do you may or may not ever use it but 
at least you've got it captured so that when you do go and complain to either HR or a manager, that you can give them a copy of your documentation. That carries much more weight than just meeting with them and saying, well, look, this is what's happened. Mm -hmm. So that documentation is key and there's some therapeutic benefit to writing that stuff out we we do that in the therapy component of of working through harassment doing some journaling you know and, and writing out how you felt how it impacted you mm-hmm. what your reaction was to it and on all the levels that dr susan talked about so it wouldn't be an exercise for not if you didn't go forward with yeah. it. yeah yeah, I think that's good to know, too. Do we have a caller well, on the line? We do have some callers. Uh, I know Holly's working on but I, I did want um, to take this question from a listener uh, email. What if one, and this is uh, from one of our listeners, what if one, quote, plays along and stops it right away and it gets to the point it becomes an issue and the person doesn't listen and keeps saying no means yes. So presumably what they're, they're getting at is, um, you know, maybe you've, quote, played along, uh, but then you decide that is no longer appropriate. Well, I think playing along oftentimes is an inability to say no when we want to say no. Mm. And it tends to kind of take some of the the, the levity off of the situation. And, and I think it's often misread, but at any time, you have the right to set the limits on your body in your area, in your space. So if you feel like you've, if you've played along to make it somewhat tolerable or uh, to minimize the outcome of it, uh, you can at any time say, no, this is not okay. And then it goes back to what Dr. Susan said about document it, write it out. Mm-hmm. I think the piece where that becomes difficult is if it's your boss. And there, we, we do know that people can be coerced into various sexual situations. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was trying to think of the best word. Yeah. And as a result, it is still, it, it, what we look at is, is it unwelcome? So you may go ahead with something because you've been coerced and your job has been threatened. It still would be unwelcome. sexual harassment sure. because right. it's unwelcome. And I think when I had talked about quid pro quo, I, I should clarify, I think I missed this. When a manager is sexually harassing one of their direct reports, If at any point they're saying, you know, have late night dinners with me, sleep with me, or offers any other kind of sexual activity, and then they will make sure that you are not fired, that you are hired, that you won't be demoted, you will be promoted. That's the piece that's quid pro quo. Mm. If they do not give those alternatives, it would not be quid pro quo, but they will still be held to a higher standard than if it was a colleague. Mm. We do have some people uh, calling in. If you guys are just joining us, um, it's our MyTalk 1071 roundtable talking about sexual harassment with our two very special guests, Dr. Susan Strauss and Jim Keenan. Um, let's go to Kristen. She has a question for you guys about the direction of where the harassment is coming from, not necessarily your boss, maybe uh, a customer. Kristen, what did, what question do you have for our experts today? Uh, yeah, I um, a long time ago used to work at a full-service gas station, with, which is a uh, fully male and uh, occupation where I was at and a lot of hey sweethearts and touching my hand and oh you're able to check my oil and and it's happened at other like at a hospital you know I had a patient grab my hand and put it on you know so my question is what do you do when it's 
when it's customers or when it's not somebody who's employed by the right. same per- person you're employed by. It's a great right. question. Thank you. Your employer, uh, that's referred to as third party harassment, by the way. And oh. your employer has a responsibility to protect you from any kind of discrimination and harassment. Now, it becomes huh. difficult if you're at a gas station and it's a trucker that's going through and mm-hmm. will never be back again. But there should be maybe some signage that's up that. That reminds any of the customers that inappropriate touching or name calling is not okay and that the staff need to be treated with respect regardless of what their uh, gender is. Sometimes in a hospital and it's a patient. Uh, I've got a nursing background, so I can relate oh, okay. to that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I have stories there. You've got a little bit more control because that patient is going to be in the hospital for a while. And so you've got more control on that patient's behavior. Uh, okay. So you do. But sometimes, like even a, a waitress in a bar will complain about the same thing. And, right. and then you've got to get the manager there. And if necessary, you kick that customer out because it's your employer who has a legal responsibility to ensure that you are not harassed and discriminated against. Mm-hmm. And, and I, would like to, I would like to let you know that you always have the right to say no. And mm-hmm. you always have the right to comment yeah. on that behavior well, and simply say, I'd rather my hand not... <laughs> I called him a dirty old man, and he laughed. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I guess it was okay. I'm guessing but, it wasn't um, the first time he heard that. Probably right. not. No. no. <laughs> and I think so, sometimes humor, like you just said, and you might have said it very seriously, but humor is sometimes a good tactic yeah. as well. It's a good well. deflection sometimes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Kristen, thank you so much for that question. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Uh, I'm going to ask our other caller. We've got another caller on the line. I've got a couple emails here. I'd like to kind of keep everybody where they are. And when we come back, we'll address uh, some of these questions. If you have a question for our panel, feel free, please, to call 651-641-1071. And we'll be right back with the My Talk 1071 roundtable talking about sexual harassment. Hey, it's Alexis and David from First Equity. David, what's new in the mortgage world? We are busy as ever. People still want to get that house bought before that snow flies. Anything new to talk about? Well, I think one of the things that I keep hearing people talk about is how much rents are going up and up and up. Why not buy a house, stop that payment from going up and up and up? And there are some really awesome new programs that are helping people get as first-time home buyers. We have more programs than ever to help people get down payments. And what's the best way to set yourself apart from other buyers? That is getting yourself approved. So you have a letter that says, we have been underwriting approved and we are ready to buy a house. That sticks out. First Equity has a reputation. We get our loans done. That's what you should have in your hands to go shopping for a house. You guys are the best. And if you have First Equity on your paperwork, you're going to jump right to the top. Use my talk keyword, David, or call 612-868-6968. Red Rabbit is the place to be if you're looking for late night eats in the North Loop. Every Thursday through Sunday from 10 to midnight, Chef Todd McDonald serves up Korean fried chicken and it's amazingly crispy and tender all at the same time. You see, Korean fried chicken is fried once, then it's rested for 12 hours and fried again so it's not greasy or soggy, but truly extra crispy and crunchy. And whether you want spicy or traditional sauce, each one is bursting with flavor. So when your late night cravings hit, head for Red Rabbit in the North Loop on Washington Avenue in Minneapolis. Tune into the Hoffman Weber Home Show presented by James Hardy. Heard Sundays at 9 a.m. right here on My Talk 1071. Hosted by the construction experts from Hoffman Weber Construction. 
Tune in for everything you need to know about home improvement, design, and remodeling. Now is the perfect time to work with industry experts at Hoffman Weber for your roofing, siding, windows, gutters, and interior remodeling needs. So tune in and call in with your questions. Answered live on the air, Sundays at 9. Learn more and listen to past episodes at mytalk1071.com. Keyword home. The shopping event of the season, the Minneapolis Holiday Boutique, November 10th through 12th, now on the field at U.S. Bank Stadium. Shop hundreds of booths and find the latest trends in apparel, jewelry, decor, seasonal gifts, gourmet food, and more. Get inspiration for your holiday gatherings with three festive designer rooms. Plus, enjoy Ladies' Night Out on Friday and Mother-Daughter Night on Saturday. For one-of-a-kind gifts for everyone on your list, shop the Minneapolis Holiday Boutique, November 10th through 12th at U.S. Bank Stadium. Save $2 online at MinneapolisHolidayBoutique.com. Lend a hand during Herberger's Community Days this Wednesday through Saturday. Your $5 donation helps support over 9,000 local charities and gets you over $500 in coupons. And for this event only, use your coupons on bonus buys. Also get special offer coupon savings like $100 off ladies' coats, ladies' cuddle duds and pajama sets, $19.97 each, $40 off ladies' boots, and Keurig K-Cup value packs, $19.97. Herberger's, better brands, bigger savings. We're adding a few new things to your list of snow day essentials. Swim trunks, goggles, flip-flops, and giant water slides that dip, drop, twist, and turn. Because Great Wolf Lodge Indoor Water Park Resort is coming to Minnesota this December. Zip your way down giant water slides, ride the tide in our wave pool, and escape to an 84-degree water park any day of the week. Book now at greatwolf.com and save up to 30% during our grand opening sale. Great Wolf Lodge. Everybody in. How is it November already? I know some of your Thanksgiving menus have been planned for weeks, but I also know some of you will be at the grocery store picking up the turkey the night before. Now, you're the ones I'm talking to. Procrastination is fine, but not when it comes to health insurance. Will you be covered on January 1st? For great plans and help deciding, check out You Care Choices today, well before the December 20th deadline, because after all, you're going to need that day for holiday shopping. Visit youcare.org slash choices2018. That's youcare.org slash choices2018. Welcome back to the My Talk 1071 Roundtable, talking about sexual harassment. Here are Colleen and Bradley. to the My Talk 1071 Roundtable. We are talking about sexual harassment. I'm Colleen Lindstrom, Bradley Trainer, and we have two experts in the studio. We have Dr. Susan Strauss, who's a workplace and school harassment consultant, investigator and expert, and our friend Jim Keenan from POR Emotional Wellness. He's a therapist, and um, both of them are bringing um, amazing expertise to the table as we talk about this topic that has been in the entertainment news, and now we're bringing it to you in this in this way. Here's a question, and um, you know, I I love the sort of nuts and bolts of the, the particular you know topics, whether it's sexual harassment, what that actually means. But relating it a little bit uh, back to the current moment and pop culture, you know. A lot of these stories, I think we have been able to sort of talk about in the context of Hollywood or um, the movie industry. And as if that's somehow different, uh, meaning, you know, they do things differently. And so maybe this behavior has been more prevalent. I'm not sure that's the case. I wonder um, what perspective you guys can share about how similar it actually is to what people deal with day in and day out in all sorts of places, whether it's, you know, a fortune 500 company or like a mom and pop um, business. 
Go well. I, I can speak to you know in terms of my small company. We have about fifty employees, and I've hired employees who have come from other places, and they've talked to me about how different it is at our place and what they've gone through. And as a business owner, I'm amazed by that. Um, but I, I think that that what Hollywood is showing us on a on a grand stage, no pun intended, mm-hmm. what, <laughs> is 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 kind of uh, what it's what's happening all over. It just happens to be with really popular people who make a lot of money. Yeah. Um, this happens to the to the secretary, to the assistant, to the manager, to the senior vice president, to the line worker. This is going on all over, mm-hmm. and and you know everybody's affected by it. I would I would maybe you have some stats on this, but I would guess that statistically we all know somebody, if not ourselves, right. who have been victimized by harassment. Right. I think the statistics really vary, and it depends on who the researcher is and how they've set up the survey and and so on. But it's estimated that roughly 50% of women have been sexually harassed. Some research has shown only 30%. I'm putting quotes around only. Uh, I agree with Jim. I The behavior we're hearing about from Weinstein is so egregious mm-hmm. and includes sexual assault and rape, which is also sexual harassment according to the law um, I've heard of those things I've worked on those kinds of cases as an expert witness uh, I I agree I think it's all over and I don't know I've not read any research as to whether the entertainment industry particularly Hollywood would be more susceptible to it my gut feeling is that they would but that's just merely my opinion I've not read any research on yeah. it I will say, you know, anecdotally, when you when you have conversations in a group of people, if the topic of harassment comes up, it does seem like everybody has a story. And you were kind of mentioning that off the air, uh, Dr. Susan Strauss, because you said you had a conversation with a group of women and everybody had a story. All my friends. And I want to just say, too, that as adults. If you're going back to college, um, when I was in graduate school, my advisor um, I went in and one day to, he had to sign off for me to get my degree mm-hmm. and he pulled out an erect penis and wanted me to suck on it. Mm-hmm. And so there's the coercion <sighs> yeah. wow. and I was an adult and in my thirties and all I could think of is what if he does this to some little brand new high school yeah. graduate Who doesn't know that's how to, 18 yeah. or 19. Oh. And I think what people, what people don't, understand is that happens yeah, yeah. oh yes and, and, and i think as, as as a society when you know we're a little bit prudish mm-hmm. when it comes to sex and sexuality or a lot prudish and and i think when when you know when i've shared my own story uh people have a hard time getting their hands around it mm-hmm. they have a hard time getting their head wrapped around it and they simply want to say well oh, that's got to be isolative that's got to be a once in a lifetime because oh, we want gosh. it to be we right want it because to right. we want to well, believe that the world is a good place well, and people keep each other right. safe and, and then maybe, we live in fear yeah and maybe jim you could talk a little bit about um you know i think of rose mcgowan and how what we've learned is that nobody listened to her and she was made to feel crazy which has to be an experience a lot of victims of yes sexual assault and harassment um, experience. Talk a little bit about just the the sort of, um, well, I, I want to call it evil, but that. the psyche that that somebody can make someone else feel like a, like they're crazy right? Uh, because of the, the sexual assault. I, I think, again, people want to feel safe. And if, if we start to acknowledge the fact that this is rampant in our society, it is mm-hmm. everywhere, it becomes unsafe. I think also men of power are scared 
Mm-hmm. Their their way of doing things is is jeopardized, and they don't want they don't want to admit that they don't and want to lose their power. They don't mm-hmm. want to lose their power. So in order to to not lose your power, you have to start making the other person feel crazy. Yeah. In in my situation, uh, the 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 church actually has told victims that it never happened. It did not happen. Mm-hmm. Straight out, tell you to your face, it didn't happen. And I'm not sure where they get the the gusto to do that. Mm-hmm. But it's all about safety for whomever's wanting to create it and but what i mean by that is if i'm the perpetrator i feel safe in that behavior Mm -hmm. i feel powerful i feel like i have the a-ok to do that for whatever sick purposes i want and if that's challenged now i feel fear Mm -hmm. so i'm gonna have to figure out how to negate that fear and that is by making you feel crazy yeah i think Mm -hmm. with just the one incident that i shared with you um i was carpooling to go there were several of us carpooling to go to graduate school. And when I shared with the other folks I carpooled with, one was a woman and two were men, the two men said, yeah, but what did you have on that day? And it was summer. And I never told another person after that. Because oh, I, I thought, yes. oh, what did I have on? And I blamed myself. Well, yes. that brings up the victim shaming. Yes, right. it does. Exactly. You know, and, and I think that, you know, men men have no idea what it means to feel that sense of anxiety and fear around corners them. Am I going to get my bum touched? Mm-hmm. Am I going to get a side boob hit? You yeah. Know? It's oh, so, much so right. Yeah. You know, and, and men don't understand that because nine out of 10 guys, if some woman came by and accidentally junked, touch their junk mm-hmm. they'd get a little <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know yeah and, and, and it's this difference and and you know and i always I've, I've told people in therapy that you know men use sex to uh to feel connected and to feel important and to feel powerful where women use sex after they feel emotionally fulfilled and emotionally connected and as a result of this connection where men need it to start the connection mm-hmm. and so we're a little backwards as yes. humans and, and i think men need to understand that uh uh, it, it's not okay. Yeah. Because you think it doesn't make it okay. Right. Because your paycheck is of a certain level does not make it okay. And and we continually grant a certain amount of freedom, if you will, based on economic standards. And and I just have a really hard time understanding how uh, how men as a society and as a group of men how we've come to the understanding that if our bank account's bigger than somebody else, I'm better and more powerful. Yeah. It, it, it's that's part of the issue here. I want to take a, just a, a very quick moment because we're coming, our time is coming to a close in this first hour. And Dr. Susan Strauss, you just have been um, such a wealth of information, both from the legal perspective and just sharing your own story. And I and I want to thank you so oh, much for you. that. My pleasure. Because these the, this information and these stories are exactly what we hope from these roundtables that that people will hear these stories in entertainment and then be able to take them into their lives and understand it better. So thank you for that. Thank you. And we will continue with this conversation um, about sexual harassment here. Um, when we, on the other side of this, we do have some questions uh, about specifically about statute of limitations that we'd like to get into. We're going to talk a little bit more about um, about that victim aspect. We're going to talk about Kesha. Uh, many people remember the Kesha and Dr. Luke story, and uh, and, and that she sued. Dr. Luke, her producer from Sony, for um, for an, uh, an incident that occurred with them. And we've got people, uh, including uh, some of our hosts, who yes. are actually going to share their story yes. when we come back.